women are raising our voices. Solving the problems of the world. We gotta be at the table. Your voice does matter. She wants to hear your voice. Hello, and welcome to She Roars, a podcast about change and the women who make it happen, before, during, and after their time on the Princeton campus. My name is Margaret Koval, and my guest today is Joanne Ramos, class of 1995. Joanne's had a few incarnations since leaving Princeton. She began her professional life in the world of finance before tossing in the helicopters in the office of masseuses to become a journalist. She wrote for The Economist magazine, both in London and New York. She had three children, and then she turned to fiction. Joanne has just released her first novel with Random House. It's called The Farm, and it is actually a terrific debut. Congratulations, Joanne, and thank you for coming in to be with us today. Thank you for having me. I I really enjoyed reading the book. I I can't overstate that. Um, And uh, I was kind of struck by some of the things that people have been calling it. It's, it's, It's called A Chillingly Plausible Imagination of the Future of Pregnancy, in one review, or blurb. And uh, another blurb, a refreshing advancement in feminist dystopian fiction. And another blurb, a page-turner about immigrants chasing what's left of the American dream, among a lot of other things. And I see all of that in the book. It's a really rich book with lots of different themes. But sometimes it feels a little over-politicized, a little oversimplified, some of those blurbed. And I wonder if you could just help our our listeners understand the plot a bit by uh, telling us what it's all about. Imagine the most luxurious retreat you've ever seen. Uh It's on 260 private acres of rolling hills, pristine ponds. The renovated mansion uh, is outfitted with every amenity and staffed by a cadre of fitness trainers, yoga instructors, gourmet chefs, dedicated to the women staying there. But the thing is that all these amenities are not really for the benefit of these women, but for what's growing inside of them. Yeah. Because all of these women are surrogates carrying the babies of some of the richest people in the world. And in exchange for leasing their wombs for these nine months, they have the chance to make big money. And so the farm is this retreat. And the story is about the women who are staying them, staying there. Many of them are immigrants. Many of them are desperate for money and yeah. to change their lives. Some of them are more privileged, college-educated. And so you take this set of characters, Jane, who's a young Filipina without many options, who is taking this job to give her daughter a better life. And she's probably the main character, or at least yes. I would say so. Yes, yes. Okay, yes. go ahead. She ends up having a roommate who is a Caucasian, college-educated young woman who mm-hmm. also decides for her own reasons to become a host at mm-hmm. the farm. And that's Reagan. That's right. That's mm-hmm. Reagan. Uh, her aunt, or her cousin actually, who's much older, um, Ate, which means big sister in Tagalog, mm-hmm. which is the language in the Philippines. She's um, a baby nurse who's been doing what she does for decades, um, mm-hmm. hasn't seen her children in th- in many years, and is the one who tells Jane about the farm. And then there's Mei Yu, who's a uh, half Caucasian, half Chinese woman the embodiment of the American dream in her own right. Yeah, very much so. Who runs the yeah. farm. She's she's a, you know, a hard-driven career woman who wants to make a go of this. And in some ways, uh, uh, an antagonist and in some ways a protagonist, but certainly, to, to my mind, a really interesting character. She's really controversial. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've had a lot of reader feedback already, and there are people who love her and there are people who hate her. And I, I find her interesting because she is not the only person who betrays someone in the book. Right, but she really not. is the lightning rod of people the people who hate her hate her. And I find that interesting because she really is the American dream. She didn't come from much. Everything she has right. she earned. She is good to the people in her orbit. She yeah. tries to help her assistant, an African American assistant, get into community college and thrive there. She helps her family. She helps her best, best friend, friend from college. Yes. She does run a business commodifying women yes. and manipulating them. 
uh, one of the members of my team in Random House made a point that I thought was really interesting, which is Mayu tells herself a certain story to make herself okay with what she does at work. And I think probably all of us tell ourselves some our own story to make ourselves okay with what is a very complicated and unjust world, right? We 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 make our cho- we make a story to make our choices okay. And and anyway, this woman on my team at Random House said maybe that's why people hate her more than the other characters because there's a part of ourselves that also we have to tell our stories to walk by the homeless guy on the street, tell our stories to leave our kids at home or not leave our kids at home and yeah. not work even though we've been raised to work. We we tell we all tell ourselves stories. Yeah. I never thought about that, but maybe that's why. She is a lightning rod, though. She really is a lightning rod, as you say. And it's it's interesting because uh, we allow ourselves, I think, to feel intense dislike or like around all these characters mm-hmm. because the central theme is motherhood or, or a central theme driving through this uh, whole – your whole novel is uh, a story about – motherhood from different cultures' perspectives, different characters' perspectives, of course, and different class perspectives. And we all feel, I, I was struck by this when I had my own children, everybody feels they have the right to to have an opinion about how you are a mother, yes. how mothers uh, yes. do their job. Right. And I'm wondering if that was part of your thinking as you sat down to write the book. Are you going to say, I'm going to do a sociological exploration of motherhood from all these different angles, or did it just fold out? Well, it's funny. You know, I always felt that I straddled worlds in ways. Um, I was born in Manila, but grew up in Wisconsin in a town Uh where we were one of the few Asians there. And I was a financial aid kid at Princeton. Uh I was a woman on Wall Street when there weren't that many women on Wall Street. And then I was a, you know, a high-achieving woman who decided to stay at home for a bit with her three kids in an era of helicopter parenting. And a couple of things around that period really struck me. One was that this zeal to give our kids the best of everything can go to really crazy places when you have the means to go to crazy places. Right. And the second thing is that when I was at home for a bit, I realized that the only Filipinas I knew in my life at that point on a day-to-day basis were housekeepers, nannies, baby nurses. And although I grew up in a town without that many Asian families, we would visit my dad's family almost every weekend, and they were part of a really tight Filipino community there. Mm-hmm. And so that was very jarring to me. And that it, it was those observations, this what I can give my kids that these women can't, um, this real affinity I felt for them and this bond that we had, and yet our paths were so different. That stirred me to start yeah. to write fiction, even though I hadn't done it since college at that point. <laughs> That's really interesting yeah. because I, I, I found myself wondering about this throughout the book because the you before I'd met you, mm-hmm. it was obvious that you, the author, straddled these two worlds somewhat seamlessly. Um, I know you've never been a baby nurse and you've never um, uh, had the same experiences that Jane did, our, our main character. But how did you get to know the inside life of the immigrant Filipino who had a much more hard scrabble um, uh, experience with America than, than you and your family did? Well, some of it is really rooted even in my childhood because we, the Filipino community of which we are part really did range. And some of it is from my time, flash forward to my 30s when I'm raising kids, and mm-hmm. I got to know many of these women from um, this orbit of parks and playdates that yeah. I was on. Did you, uh, do you speak um, – I'm sorry. I don't, don't even speak Tagalog. It's interesting. I, I'm One, I'm very curious about people of my nature and quite friendly, so I got to know these women. And I really do think that many of them shared with me stories that they might not have shared with a non-Filipino boss, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so – um, I knew women who hadn't seen their kids in decades. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew women who lived in a dormitory, um, renting beds by the half day 
to wow. save money, um, which is uh, one of the earlier scenes in the book, like that those exist. And they mm-hmm. don't just exist here, I've come to learn, not through research, but just through talking to friends who've lived in the Middle East or Hong Kong, but mm-hmm. abroad especially, the, the, there are these dormitories where the sort of the imported help will mm-hmm. stay. And that just got so many things going in my mind. One, what does it mean to leave your children an ocean away, live almost this half existence. Mm-hmm. You're not even you don't even have a, a 24-hour bed right. to call your own. Right. And then taking care of other people's kids. And to try to imagine my way into that was based on some stories I heard and some of it was based on what it, I'm a mother, what would it feel like to do that? Yeah. Um so yeah, it, that was so time. there's a scene early in the book, and I have to say, uh, I was flipping through the book trying to decide whether I was going to commit, as so many readers do, and I got to this scene, and I thought, wow, she's got me, you know, I'm in. And I wonder if you'd read it for us. Yes, I'd love to. I think I'll give a little bit of background, just to say, uh, again, Jane is the main character. Jane's a, a very young and recent immigrant from the Philippines. She's come to New York City, living in Queens in one of the dormitories that you just described, uh, that her cousin, Ate, has has helped her settle into, I guess. Ate, the baby nurse, is ill. She asks Jane to fill in for her with a very wealthy couple. Jane is still lactating because she has her own baby at home, but she agrees to do it. She goes to this very, very, very wealthy family. It sounds like the Upper East Side, but I don't know where you said it, actually. And there she is doing her best to be the best baby nurse in the world, following all the instructions that her her cousin has given her. And yet things go tragically wrong in one scene. I should say the baby she's caring for is called Henry. Uh, Chaos uh, is erupting in the house. Jane desperately needs to pump. And so uh, take it away, please, Joanne. Jane places Henry on her bed against the wall. As she goes to lock the door, he begins to squirm. She runs back to the bed, piling pillows on his exposed side to buffer him. She turns on the white noise machine, peels off her shirt, and attaches herself to Mrs. Carter's pump. Within minutes, her milk begins to flow. Jane listens to the rhythmic suction and thinks of Amalia and relaxes. Suddenly, Henry shrieks. He shrieks so violently, it is as if the air in the room is being ripped in two. He burps. Jane forgot to burp him before laying him down, and shrieks again, then again, dissolving into a ferocious wailing. Jane, heart battering her chest, quickly unlatches herself from the machine and sweeps Henry off the bed. His hands clawed her skin. Shh, shh, she whispers urgently. Pressing Henry against her chest, Jane uses her free hand to detach the tubes from the bottles. Henry's mouth closes on her nipple, which oozes milk. No, Henry. Jane tries to pull him off, but he only clamps down harder, gulping milk the way a drowning man, once saved, gulps the air. Stubborn boy. Jane slides her pinky into the side of Henry's mouth and pries open his jaws. Henry, bereft tips back his head and bellows so fiercely his splotchy face goes white. Henry! Jane's insides thunder. She pushes him against herself to muffle him, and when he begins to suck on her again, she lets him, just until she can clear away the pump, which she should not be using, just until she can dump the old milk from his bottle into the sink and rinse it and fill it with her fresh milk, just until she can screw on the rubber nipple. She works as quickly as she can, her breast, the one free of Henry's hungry mouth, drips onto the floor. Jane is walking to the bed, a bottle finally in hand, when her door flies open. The doorknob bangs against the wall. Jane, I just wanted to, oh my God. And there she is interrupted by actually a neighbor who sees her nursing the son of her employer. And to me, as I watched that, uh, sorry, it's, it's so cinemagraphic. I wasn't watching it, but I was seeing it in my mind. Um, it was almost it was almost like a horror movie. Every step of the way, I thought, oh no, Jane, oh no, Jane, you're going to get in trouble. Don't do that, don't do that. And sure enough, she does. It says so much to me about the themes of the book 
themes of immigration, themes of poverty, themes of class, um, and themes of motherhood, of course. I think you do a fabulous job describing Jane's motherhood there. Um, but I'm curious what it says about her boss's sense of motherhood. Um, why is this such a horror? Why is it such a horror to have another woman nurse your child, I wonder? I wonder if you have any thoughts on that. Well, especially when there was a time when we had wet nurses yeah. or people had wet nurses yeah. and did it. I, You know, I, I am fascinated um, being someone who's raised my children, has had help raising my children, um, about that relationship. It is one of the most intimate relationships in the world, if you think about it. Yes. You're hiring someone to help you raise your child. And I've heard many times from acquaintances or friends, oh, you know, my nanny, she's part of the family. But she's not. No. And, I mean, if you really, I've wondered that a lot. If you ask the nanny, the caregiver, who would you count in your chosen family? They may not as frequently mention their boss as right. the times I've heard bosses mention their caregivers. Um, and I just think that you layer onto that race and you layer onto that the huge uh, inequality we have in this country now where the idea of mobility and, 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 and rising, or at least giving your kids a better life, I hope it's still true, but I doubt it increasingly, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, I just think it makes it such a rich uh, place to write a story. Yeah. And that's actually where I began trying to write the story for a year, year and a half. And it just wasn't working. It wasn't until I had the idea of a surrogacy facility that I was able to do everything I wanted to do, which is to layer in some ideas about capitalism or our society or what we're willing to sell, uh, yes. that sort of thing, yes. so, uh, that it really came to life. But, but the genesis of the book was always that relationship. Yeah. Well, back to the then the the business model, the farm, um, which is the you know the nexus around which everything turns. How did you get that idea? In, in a way, it's a spit in the wind beyond where we are today, isn't it? Exactly. I'm, I'm actually so happy you said that. I mean, the book has been called, in many reviews and in reader feedback, a dystopia, and um, it's not that it's not a dystopia. I suppose it depends on how you define that. Yeah. I did not set out though to write dystopian fiction. I'd hope to write about the world as we now are in now, push forward a few inches, mm-hmm. as you say, mm-hmm. um, in hopes that in doing that, people feel the distance to really immerse themselves in it. Yeah. But maybe it's close enough that you question a little bit about where we are now and the choices we've made. But the short answer to the idea is, after a year and a half of writing in the dark, and again, when I started the farm, or started trying to write a book, it had been since college, so over 20 years since I wrote fiction. So mm-hmm. that was a year and a half of trial and error and figuring out how to write again. But I happened to read an article in the Wall Street Journal, Mm -hmm. a very small two, three paragraph piece about a surrogacy facility in India. And I didn't really do any research beyond that. It's just the what if started. It's like, what if I made it luxury? Because I'm really interested in this perfect parenting and and this zeal to get your kid ahead as early as possible, as much as possible. And what if I made the host or the surrogates, surrogates, not just Indian women, because I was very interested in not just my culture, but the other women I'd gone to know in the parks and playdates mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. lower Manhattan. And just the idea of what we're willing to sell as a society, I just think is fascinating generally. And yeah. this aspirational edge to everything. I mean, I'm old enough that I remember you when you used to buy a shirt, you were buying a shirt. Yeah. It wasn't 
a shirt laid on with a backdrop of a gorgeous apartment that made you want the whole life. <laughs> I mean, that's relatively mm-hmm. new. That, that And so it was all these things. I mean, and, and the farm, as you describe it, uh, frankly, almost takes, as you say, you know, modern mother, motherhood in some channels and, and just puts it in an institution because, um, you know, they're obsessed with diet and they monitor everything that goes into the women's mouths. They're obsessed with exercise and every um, movement that they make through these little Fitbits, basically. Yes. Right? Um, so it, it uh, frankly, I would be surprised if you didn't see some businesses spring up in the aftermath. Of oh, my gosh. I, I've heard that, too. I'm like, uh-oh, I hope not. Um, I, I, I know even when I was pregnant with my first child, just I was a new mother. It was quite overwhelming to me. Mm-hmm. And all, beyond the, it wasn't even the perfect parenting zeal. It was just wanting to be adequate in all of the media out there. Mm-hmm. Oh, but you must play Mozart for the baby and make sure you don't mm-hmm. ever eat any food that's bad for the baby and don't get stressed. Even mm-hmm. all that, that mm-hmm. pressure, yeah. um, even beyond the $1,500 strollers and the everything else is, is a lot. Yes. And it's kind of new, this real focus on being the perfect mother. And so in a sense, too, I think the farm took some of those feelings I'd had Mm -hmm. and melded them to how I imagine some of the caregivers who witness their clients doing this but never did it for their own children, how they must feel. And it, again, that was another kind of thread that led me towards. Yeah. I think it's very interesting because you do have character development for all of your characters. And one is Jane uh, hoping to give her daughter more and more. In fact, Going back to the plot for a second, after we have the experience where Jane is caught nursing Henry, she's fired and she's desperate for uh, a job. She wants to give her daughter a better life. She wants to get out of the dormitory. She wants an apartment. And she learns of this opportunity uh, to uh, to be a surrogate at the farm, uh, which comes with a catch. And the catch is she has to leave her daughter outside the gates, so to speak. So she's doing it all for her daughter. Uh, which is um, fascinating. And then she, as she goes through her months at the farm, she begins to wonder if she had gestated her own daughter as best as she could. So she, 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 uh, she comes along for the ride a little bit. But I don't want to give away any key plot points. I don't want to do any spoilers. Uh, complications ensue. She, she signs on to the farm. She becomes pregnant. She, she rooms with uh, Reagan. And uh, some very interesting plot twists happen. There, again, Reagan and, and May and Jane, all that they do is motivated one way or another by, by their maternal instincts, I, I think it's fair to say. Um, it made me think, again, you, you do it so beautifully. I felt it was one of the most um, multidimensional explorations of motherhood I've read maybe forever. I mean, I, I really enjoyed that part of it. Oh, thank you. And wondered, why is motherhood not, you know, on the literary A-list of, of novel themes? Because it isn't. We don't see too many novels simply about motherhood. I wonder if you have any thoughts on that, or whether it's changing, maybe. You know, I think it, for a long time, I think, and I'm not an expert in this, I just feel like it wasn't thought of as literature, like the, the, the sort of thing that you'd write ra- about to make mm-hmm. real literature. Mm-hmm. Um, quite honestly, I think it's rooted in why when I was at home, I really had being someone raised to achieve a lot and 
who went to Princeton and expected a lot out of myself when I made that decision to stay home. It was something that I downplayed. I thought mm-hmm. when my real life starts again, in mm-hmm. a sense, yeah. my real work at least starts again. But that was work. So even as a, an individual, I'm diminishing that or did diminish it, did diminish it. And really now I'm cognizant of the fact that I did and try not to. Um, and I think that probably happens when we as women write mm-hmm. uh, about mm-hmm. it. Um, and I hoped not to do that with yeah. this. It is so central to, yeah. well, definitely to this story, but to my life. And 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 the idea that this is my first book and it really is a childhood dream long deferred and it only happened to a large part because I'm a mother is gratifying and has made me rethink how I felt during those years mm-hmm. that I chose to be at home. It is interesting because yeah. it is so, to me, parenthood, to just expand it a little bit, is so essential to the human condition. And obviously it's one of the... Dr- if not the driving force of life, uh, that it's a mysterious absence in the literary canon in my mind. But I'll leave that to PhD students. Curiously, how, how did you – we often talk and think about writers alone writing, the experience you sort of described a little bit. But then there's a the whole second part of being a novelist, and that is promoting the book, getting out and talking to people. How, how are you finding that experience? What, what, what is that like? I'm sure there's people listening who, who, who probably are interested in writing books. It's funny. I've been thinking about this a lot and have not yet spoken about this part. I was really nervous about this part of things, um, in part because probably like most writers, I feel like I express myself best in the written word. Right, exactly. <laughs> By myself, not. <laughs> and I've been giving a lot of talks and, and um, doing a lot of interviews. I think the other thing is, as a writer, um, I know that every story you tell shuts out other interpretations of the same experience. Mm-hmm. And so in telling my story of how I came to write The Farm, it is true. All of it is true. And yet I could have probably come up with a different narrative to say that. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm probably overthinking this in a very writerly mm-hmm. way, but it is a funny thing because it is true. It's also a little performative, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not yet sure how I feel about that. And does performance make something inauthentic? I don't think it has to, not but it's but it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, what I have come to learn, um, because I've been doing a lot of this stuff in the past um, couple of months, is my fear that the book would become a static object. I've always said of writing as a verb, not the end result. Um, doesn't mean it is a static object mm-hmm. because I've been having conversations like this where I've learned something I think every time so far and I'm new. Maybe mm-hmm. that won't always happen, but the, the give and take with people. I've had so many people come up to me and say, um, I hadn't thought about it that, that way or I didn't know about these dormitories. Or I did, and it's it's still a live thing. And that is really great. And like with everything, practice gets you places. So I'm not so nervous to speak in public. And, yeah. I, you know, it, yeah, it's yeah. been... Um, I'm almost 46. I feel like not everything is new now in my life. But with this process, with this journey, everything's new. Yeah, I'm scared routinely. Every week I'm scared. <laughs> I'm doing something for the first time. It's kind of a privilege. I mean, it's totally terrifying. But it's yeah. also, it's really great yeah. to stretch. Oh, I can imagine. Almost every week. It's really, it's it's pretty great. I read somewhere that, uh, you know, a work of art is in the artist's head, the novelist's head, the painter's head, whatever. I guess the choreographer's head. But it's not really complete until it goes out and meets its audience, and 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 they make it into something different. Uh, so that's, that's interesting. Speaks yeah. to a little bit. I, I think wish I had known that before. I <laughs> could have saved myself a few months of, of angst. <laughs> but I think that's. I've found that to be really true. I hear what you're saying, but you're underselling yourself in some sense, in that you wrote that richness and that depth 
of, uh, of potential interpretation into the book through the characters. They're, they're rich enough that I, I see them differently every time I go back and visit them. That which... makes me happy to hear because it really is. I really, really wanted to make all the characters complicated, especially Mayu, quite honestly. Yes. But honestly, even Ate, there was a – when people started to read it, they – I found people wanted to sanctify her. Oh, yes. You know, that this whole idealization of poverty or the hardworking immigrant, and she's human too. Mm-hmm. And I've had some people say to me, well, I still don't know what you were trying to say. With Ate. <laughs> with the book, because oh, of the, the ending and yes. things. And I say, you know, I'm really not trying to say, I'm trying to bring up, it's, been, it's a conversation I've had with myself for a long time, a lot of the things in the book, and I'm just hoping to bring that uh, to people. Yeah. But I'm not trying to tell anyone anything. Like, I just want to spur some debate, maybe. So I'm literally biting my tongue because I, I, I don't want to spoil the ending mm-hmm. and can't spoil the ending. But uh, but I should say I enjoyed the ending in particular because it took me in a direction I didn't expect. There are no villains in this book, at least from my reading. Right. I suppose some people right. read it differently. Right. Uh, uh, and everybody is, in a sense, a good mother and a bad mother. Everybody makes some mistakes and everybody does their best right. in their own definition of their best. And different trade-offs, right? Different it, trade-offs. Other pe- some people will look at your trade-off and consider it bad parenting. Bad other parenting. People, yeah. And different cultures, of course. Again, exactly. different classes look at it all that differently. Anyway, I, I, uh, we are running out of time. So I should ask whether you're gestating another book, I hope. I am. Mm-hmm. I am. But nothing that's ready yet. All righty. Well, when you do, I hope we're still running and we'll have you back and talk again. Thanks, Joanne, very much for coming in to talk to us. I really enjoyed it. Once again, the book is The Farm, published by Random House. Please do go buy it and give it a read. It's well worth the time. Uh, Thank you to our producer, Danielle Alio, and to our audio engineer, Casey West. Thanks also to listeners. I hope you'll come back again soon for another conversation with one of the change-making women from Princeton University. This podcast is a production of the Princeton University Office of Communications with assistance from Instructional Support Services and the Office of Information Technology. The opinions expressed herein represent the views of the individuals involved, not those of the university. Princeton podcasts are available on major distribution channels, including Spotify and the Apple and Google podcast apps. If you have suggestions for future episodes or topics, please send them to podcasts at princeton.edu.